Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan 60 Sax, as they say. Ethan, it's a fine Saturday evening here. How's it going? It's great. I, I would love to clarify that no one has ever called me <laughs> Ethan 60 Sax. Um, but if I were attending PT Barcelona, I would hope that I would obtain such a nickname. Yeah, I think you would be up to the task for sure. I think so. I think so. I am very excited for some professionally played paper magic this coming weekend. And I'm, I don't know if I've been excited about an episode that we've had as much as I am for this one in quite a while. I am stoked for this episode. <laughs> I'm so psyched. This is everything I want to do, which is make lists and rank things. So very jazzed. Are you going to be getting up at 4 a.m.? Are you that psyched for the PT? Are you going to be watching oh. live? <laughs> oh, no. Unless I guess if Jonah has anything to say about it, I might be. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, no, I'll be catching catching some delicious VODs. Um, yeah. So what we're going to be doing is, as you can tell from the episode title, How to 60 Pro Tour, Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth, which I guess when we initially were chatting about doing this, you know, we've often done like a post Pro Tour episode where we review drafts, but we've already sort of, you know, done that, done like a full 45-ish type episode, you know, like we've done some draft log stuff. So do we need to do that again? So you're like, what if we did an episode about prepping for the Pro Tour, like how to 6-0? And I was like, oh, that sounds good. So that'll just be like, I guess, us coming to the show with, you know, our ideas on how to win, sort of like a summary of the format. But we're actually not quite doing that. We're we're here to battle a little bit, I think. I mean, I don't know that it's battle so much as I am curious. I think we have a good handle on the format. And yes. I would assume we are largely similar, but slightly different. And I, I want to know what your plan to 6 the PT is. And I have my I have my own plan. <laughs> based, yeah. based on my MTGO testing, I think I've set up to like 4-2 the PT right now. <laughs> I think that's not bad. Maybe 5-1 maybe if I if I hit a hot streak. <laughs> it's not as sexy of a title, how to go 4-2 and two <laughs> in Pro Tour LTR drafts. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We'll have some conversation parts. Ben and I have ranked some stuff separately that we'll come to the episode with and, and surprise each other and maybe maybe come to a conclusion but we're going to sort of treat this as like a live limited testing meeting between the two of us uh which i'm very excited about so get some housekeeping stuff out of the way and then dive into the meat of the episode first things first patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited is where folks can go to get back to the show if they so choose everybody who gives back via the patreon i mean you can get nothing if that's what you want you can just give us money and go about your business and listen to our episode. <laughs> but Please do. <laughs> we do have some perks for you. We've got access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is hopping, it's popping, 24-7 limited tech support. We're there. You know, people think they can't tag us, Ben, but they can. You want to get you want to get Ben's feedback on those bath song loops? How many bath songs should you run? At Mr. Metronome. You want to know how terrible your mana base is for your five-color legends deck? at Lord Tupperware. That's what the Discord gives you. But it also just gives you a wealth of information, a really fantastic community of people to chat with. We do, though, however, need to get our listeners on the same page about who likes what. I feel like I get tagged in some Gimli's Axe stuff, and I'm just like, what, what is happening here? How am I in this conversation? Like, we get pulled into each other's stuff by association. <laughs> That's your opportunity to be like, I know I said it was good on the show, but I, I really have to come around to, it's horrible. I don't know what I was thinking. Just impersonate me. The Discord is great. Moving up the reward tier rankings, you get access to <laughs> our show notes today in advance, get access to the episode early and ad-free, and even get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, please head on over to the Patreon page. 
And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week, we are welcoming Stephen, Luke, Damien, Eric, Joris, and Corey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc. Coolstuffinc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. Are we ready to share some good news? Yeah. I think it's time to announce that based on a kind of our trial run here with the code, and you know, we were kind of feeling out the sponsorship, seeing if it was a good fit for them, good fit for us. The news is in, and code LOL, all caps, is checking out frequently <laughs> at coolstuffinc.com. So seriously, uh, thank you to coolstuffinc.com for sponsoring the show. It has been awesome to work with them. And thank you to all of you for using code LOL, all caps, when you check out to get 5% off your orders to put those draft booster boxes in the closet. Just shove them on in there. Keep spending those dollars. It's the best investment you could ever <laughs> hope for. So whatever you're buying over at CoolStuffInc.com, keep using code LOL. And thank you again to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring Lords of Limited. Okay, so let's get into just some general thoughts from the week. Ben, on Sunday, the spike that he is, he was like, should we do some MTGO drafts to, like, <laughs> to really like get into it? And I was like, we can if you want. And Ben was like, I'm gonna, I think that'll be fun. And then I get a message from him on Monday. He was like, you, I really think if you've got time, if you can, if you can <laughs> manage it, you really should do some MTGO drafts. They're way different. So Ben, talk to me about your experience in the Magic Online streets this week. First of all, I don't like your sarcasm, sir. Wait, I do what, genuinely. What? I do genuinely feel like the drafts are different, and I think you genuinely do not. Is that a fair statement? That is, but I feel like I represented you accurately in my recap of our conversation. I mean, you made me sound a little broy. <laughs> think if I had any criticisms or any any notes for your Ben impersonation, but I did enjoy testing on MTGO this week, and it did feel substantially different to me. I felt like. The good cards were drying up sooner than I was expecting. Like it was difficult to pick up good things on the wheel, even when I felt like I was in the right lane. Sometimes I just felt like the playables were drying up. And honestly, as a result, things like the legends deck, like there just weren't good random legends like running around late because, you know, the format is less powerful. And on arena, there's enough, I think, inexperienced drafters per pod that you still get hooked up, I think, with power level. And then in Mythic, you're generally jamming super powerful decks against each other. I was scraping the bottom of the barrel sometimes in these MTGO drafts. So here's here's my broad take. And I think this is a holdover from, you know, before Jonah was born, I was playing exclusively best of three. I made the shift over maybe a little bit of best of one. But very often, I would have to make caveats about my experience because people <laughs> largely play best of one and they would tell me how things were. And I'd be like, well, that's not how it is for me. But I play best of three. I don't play in the super duper ultra competitive, awesome, invite only, best of one cues. <laughs> and I do think they're not different, at least perceivably so for, for me in terms of what I experience and also what my, my approach does not change. Like I'm still have the same ideas about the decks I want to draft. I switched up between Magic Online. I did, you know, I did appease Ben here. I did draft some MTGO drafts this week, not as much as him, but then switched back to Arena and my approach was largely the same. I think there are folks, and I would lump you into this camp, that want there to be a big difference between best of one, best of three, MTGO, in-pod play, leagues, and I think they're all a lot closer than maybe you slash those folks would like to think. My rebuttal would be... don't If you're sitting down to draft at a table with LSV and Nathan Stoyer and God knows who else... Like, you're expecting the deck you end up with to be worse 
than an average arena best of one draft, correct? Correct. But that doesn't change my approach. I agree. Your approach probably shouldn't change. And I think I would agree that I've honestly, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about this podcast is I feel like I've been getting in my own head mm-hmm. a little bit because of that in the MTGOQs. I think my approach is changing and I, I don't know if it should per se. I think that's one thing that I do want to chat with you about. But I feel very strongly about the fact that the average power level of the decks on MTGO is less than the decks that are jamming against each other in the mythic ranks on arena. I agree. I mean, the first deck that I drafted this week that I I sent to you was a a pretty good looking red black deck. And you were like, oh, those soft MTGO cues. But I was like, yeah, but your point stands that like scraping the bottom of the barrel, I did have you know, if, if if I had my druthers, I had probably six, maybe seven cards in that deck that I wasn't happy running. I mean, sure, I had double AM or double voracious fell beast, but then I did have some clunkers that I would have preferred to not play, like because I just had to fill out my curve or had to make playables, whatever. So I think your point stands, but I'm not sure how that shifts what my approach is, if it does at all. That's fair. I hear that. And I do think there is something to be said for finding those bottom of the barrel cards that you want to play when you get put in that spot. And I do think there are cards that I think we'll talk about in a little bit later in the episode that have performed well for me or opponents that I am not used to playing with or against on arena at all, because I do think people are having to dip a little further into the barrel as it, as it were. Yeah, that, that makes total sense to me. So I think as a framework for our rankings of commons, uncommons, rares, which we are going to sort of do. We're not going to do, you know, full limited testing style video is, you know, lay out all the commons and all the uncommons and all that stuff. Obviously, can't do that on a podcast. But we have a basically we're going to be doing a rough top 10 ish list for each of those rarities and then figuring out where things slot in among those. So I think as a framework before we get into the specific cards is talk about our approach or thoughts If we were going to Pro Tour Barcelona next weekend, what would we expect to anticipate? And what would our like rankings of decks, colors, archetypes that we're trying to get into be? So before we dive into that, there's one other thing from the week I want to get into, which is best of three. Like I haven't played best of three a lot in a row in a long, long time. Like, because I've been primarily best of one on arena for and years. Like, the, the only best of three playing I do is like a random best of three draft when I want to draft and I have like a best of one draft that I'm already mid draft in or the arena open. But it, it's been a long time since I've done 10 you know, best of three drafts in a row, which I did on Magic Online. And holy cow, playing without the hand smoother is like, yikes, like you just get some like no land hands or one land hands, you're just mulliganing a lot more like people's curves are a little less smooth. Like that took an adjustment period. I I was like back in the groove and also sideboarding, which we're going to talk about just a plus incredible. I mean, you get to do that in the arena opens and I love it in the arena opens, but I'd forgotten how much I miss sideboarding. Yeah, doing the qualifier for the qualifier and then playing the qualifier, uh, was it last weekend? Um, I thought was so fun. I forgot how fun sideboarding was because I really haven't done it in so long. So big agree there. 
Although I will say best of three also after playing best of one over and over, like feels like a commitment sitting down for that many best of three matches. Holy cow. It's not like I'm streaming for any different amounts of time. It just feels like a slog. <laughs> I drafted a red white aggro deck on magic online the other day and was playing against another red white opponent. And we got to game three and they went mountain plains. And I was like, man, this like matchmaking algorithm. Am I right? <laughs> Getting paired against Boros three times in a row. And then I was like, oh, no, this is the same deck, Ethan. So, yeah, I definitely had that same experience. Okay, I, I want to talk about ranking the archetypes because we we basically teased this a little bit at the end of last week when we talked about what we wanted to do for this episode of like, okay, so here's what we are going to come to the episode prepared with. Let's not talk beforehand. We'll have this meeting. We did sort of talk about, okay, so you can expect the cats out of the bag about black slash black red. And so you anticipate black being cut to some extent, in the Pro Tour pods, right? Everybody's going to know, or you imagine a large number of people are going to know a lot of what you know, right? I would think so. But that's where I feel like I've been getting in my own head a little bit. So I finally feel like I've solidified how I feel about it, which is I'm fine to start black. I'm also fine to just move off of it pretty aggressively. But I feel like there should be a thing in most pods where like maybe five or six people try to start black. And then like two or three of them probably end up abandoning ship. And sometimes, you know, you've had that experience where you do manage to hang on. And then in pack three, sometimes you randomly get hooked up because a bunch of people had the same feeling as you and like jump ship, you know. So I think everybody needs to do their part to try to get into black in pack one and then let the chips fall where they may with who actually gets to keep drafting black. So do you have a sense of like what you're hoping to get into, what you'd like to get into, what you expect to get into, that sort of thing? Yeah. So if we're talking colors, I think before we get into archetypes, my color power ranking would be one blue, two black, three red, four white, five green. And I think blue had a black because I would anticipate black being cut. I think I'll get pushed off of blue less often. And I, I love playing and piloting the blue decks. And I think I think that is a strength of mine. Whereas jamming the black cards in a mirror, I, I am not as good at. Yeah. And I would say like Blue, red, one of the things we talked about, I think a couple weeks ago was that blue base decks all largely feel similar, right? You can get, you know, blue, white, blue, black, blue, red, whatever you pair with blue, besides green, I would say that's a different beast. Like, I guess maybe you get into the scry deck, maybe blue, green is your base for a multicolor legends deck, whatever. Um, but largely I'm talking about the other three decks. I think blue, red is sort of ahead of that. And I would say Dare we say what you shouted out slash I sort of, you know, echoed a few weeks ago. Blue red is the best deck in the set, right? That's my feeling. I feel that very strongly. Yeah. Like when you were visiting a few weeks ago, I said to you, I was like, every time I see Island Mountain, I like my heart sinks a little bit. <laughs> Like from my opponent, I just feel like I'm going to be up against it. And I think the secret is out, at least at the top of the ladder on Arena. Like I drafted a Nutso Blue Red deck this morning. My first three matches were Blue Red. Yeah, it's just because you can get into it so consistently because people undervalue the key cards. And a lot of the key cards that make the deck so disastrous to play against or hard to play against are cards that you can pick up late on Arena. Yeah. Like you can get some of those good interactive cards on the wheel. Yeah, so I, I'm actually I'm I'm pretty in on your color ranking. So I, I will I will second that and give it two thumbs up. So you don't think it's being too much of a head case to want to get into blue ahead of black? No, I, I think you want to, whatever, you know, like people do for constructed tournaments, you read the meta a little bit, if I dare I use that four-letter word. You read the meta for limited here too, in that 
I think people know how good black is. I'm not sure people know how good blue is, you know, or at least the ceiling that blue has or the the very high floor that blue has, however you want to describe it. I'm not sure that that's quite as as understood. And I think blue, the depth of blue's cards go later than black. So I think that's a fine hedge. And, I, you know, it's not like we have a list of blue cards, but we do each have a list of black cards that like I'm willing to stake a claim for. And if I don't see those early, I have to be shown something else. Like either the packs have to be weak in other colors or I have to be shown that black is particularly open for me to feel like I want to get into it. Yeah. But I I think given my druthers, I definitely want to start drafts with a blue or a black card for sure. So if we go then from preferred colors into preferred archetypes, my top three are blue, red, blue, black, and blue, white. Yes. Those are my top three as well. Okay, dipping past that into the number four and five slot, red, black in four and green, black in five. But I feel like red, black, I have a bit of a mental block in that, like, if I start black, for whatever reason, I'm pretty unwilling to start taking red cards when I have options to pair like green or blue with black instead. And I think I don't know if I should be going harder after red black or not or if that's a fine thing i just feel like maybe i'm too willing to go into green because i expect green to be open in some senses you know Mm -hmm. but i definitely feel like i have a mental block about i i don't want to go red black because i feel wary about getting trapped but maybe that's just ridiculous because it is such a strong color pair like i think most people would probably have blue red one red black two or or vice versa I, i don't think most people would have red black four i I'm making the same concession for the archetype rankings, which is why I said that I do have the same blue, red, blue, black, blue, white as my top three, because I'm basically just like lumping that from I just I think given my druthers, I'm happy to start blue and I also expect that I can start blue. But then past that, yeah, I I like red, black. I personally like black, white more than black, green, but I, I think those decks are equal enough. But green, I just think of as a green based multicolored legends thing more than I think about it as a color pair. That's fair. I I will say like I I went into green a fair amount in my MTGO drafts and I never once got close to any sort of legends deck that you can like almost reasonably force on arena because of how many good legends go around the table. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I got one uh, of my five drafts got a, got a good like near mono green splash, a bunch of stuff legends deck, but yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, do you have any other decks on there? Because I, I do like red, white aggro personally. That's an eighth place for me. Like I'm pretty mm. averse to drafting it because I feel like it loses a bit. And we'll talk about this later. I feel like it loses in sideboarding. Like decks getting to sideboard against aggro in games two and three and bring in food cards or lower their curve or whatever. I mean, if you get a great red, white deck with Theoden and you get the stuff, if you get the goods, it's good. But yes. I also feel like we've talked about this high risk, high reward. And I don't think I want to go after something like that at a PT draft. Yeah, that, that's fair. I, I think it's just on my radar. I do have it at the bottom of my my bullet points where I basically have, I, I didn't go full all 10 color pairs. I basically just have like blue, red, one, blue X control two, which, you know, lumps in blue, black, blue, green, and then red, black and black, white four, green, white legends, then red, white aggro. Yeah, that's fair. And I think both of us hoping to not be red, green or blue, green. One of the things that was happening to me too was that I, and this has never happened to me on arena and I've drafted blue almost exclusively on arena. I kept getting pushed. Like I would start blue and then I would 
almost get pushed into blue green because red and black and white, like other people were contesting more than they were on arena. There were a couple of mm-hmm. times I was like kind of forced to pair green with blue after going after blue. So that made me a little nervous to rethink the starting blue strategy as well. Mm. That would be kind of a disaster scenario. Yeah. If you just ended up, okay, I've got these good because unless I mean, really, I, I just don't think they pair well together. I don't think what blues cards do best, which is, I mean, maybe you get the, some good ring tempting, but blues card draw does not pair well with greens like scry beef. stuff. Yeah. Right. And you beef. just end up yeah casting one card per turn. And that's a, an easy way to lose in this format. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> OK, so so mostly lined up a little bit of difference with my like for red, white and black, white, um, maybe a little bit of aversion towards red, black for you, but but largely lined up here with uh, with what archetypes we would want to slash expect to be able to get into. So with that in mind, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with our rankings for commons, uncommons and rares. Tournament prep takes a lot of time and energy. Before the Pro Tour, testing teams meet for up to a week in advance to hone their decks and hammer out the nitty-gritty of their draft tier lists. As long as you've got the tournament prep covered, Factor has the meal prep covered. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious meals delivered straight to your door. Too busy drafting to be able to cook but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery and the chopping and prepping and cleaning up too without sacrificing any flavor or nutritional quality. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So you can make a pack one, pick one, heat and enjoy and be back in time (laughs) with seconds to spare for pack one, pick two. Or skip the timeout stress and keep your energy up with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowl and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go or glued to your laptop. Whatever your needs, this July, Factor has you covered with flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. No stress, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash LOL50 and use code LOL50 to get 50% off. That's code LOL50 at factormeals.com slash LOL50 to get 50% off. All right, so both of us had to come to today's episode with the following lists. Top 10-ish, commons overall, uncommons overall, rares and mythics overall, and then where those lists intersect. So where your top common slots in with uncommons, right? Like what is the spot on the uncommons list where you start to take your number one common and vice versa with, or or not vice versa, but similarly with where on your rares and mythics list does your number one uncommon creep in. Um, We've also each got a list of black cards we're willing to stake a claim for. Any other lists you've got prepared, Ben, that I'm not aware of? I think that is those that is the end of the listing. Yes. Okay, great. Well, I think we're just going to dive in. Uh, We are not going to be reading cards in this section. Just FYI, I think that'll bog things down too much. So with the ideas of what colors we expect to be able to get into and perhaps are thinking about avoiding, Ben, do you want to kick things off? I will. I'm curious if our number one lines up. So I thought a lot about my number one, and I think I I have to put Dunlin Crabane at number one, but I'm a little loath to do so. Okay. How do you feel about that? I think that's fine. It's not my number one, but I think that's fine. Ooh, so interesting. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear your list. Okay. Yeah, I just think Dunlin Crabane is, even if you have a slightly murky hand, if you have three lands and Dunlin Crabane, you know you're going to get to play some good magic, and I just value that 
so highly. Yeah. It's just it's just a nice, safe feeling casting a Dunlin Corbane on turn three. And there's also hands where it's nuts, like where you go to a mass on turn two, and then you're pressuring your opponent super quickly. I, I just think it's a, a too versatile and powerful of a card to not have number one for me. But I, I don't really want to start with it, which is weird. Yeah, also. see, that, that I can't I can't wrestle with that for you, because that's why I don't have it in my number one. But I want to hear your full list. Go ahead. Okay, so number one, Dunlin Corbane. I think we'll give you give you a chance to to pipe in after each one. Number two, number two, birthday escape. Okay, which I just want to get into blue. I think that card's incredible, and it lets you play any of the blue color pairs as tempt decks mm-hmm. by, by picking it that highly. Mm-hmm. Number three, Lorien revealed on mm-hmm. brand. I love that card. I think it wins games. Number four, rally at the Hornburg. I think as a nod to getting into blue red, and I just think similar to Dunlon Corbain when you rally on turn two. A lot of times you're pressuring and it puts some decks, you know, just way, way, way behind. But it also just says, I get to play some magic. Yeah. Number five, Smite the Deathless. Again, really trying hard to get into blue, red, those Grixis colors, all that stuff. Number six, Claim the Precious. I tried to get this one lower, but it's like it's hard to put it much lower than that. And then number seven, branching into some other colors, finally, Errand Rider of Gondor as the best white common. I love that card. I think it is one of the reasons to get into white. And then in eight, Pelagir Survivor, again, loving the blue, want to get into blue as much as I possibly can. And then rounding things out with some green cards in Woe's Pathfinder 9 and Generous Ent 10th place. We are nine for 10. Wow, <laughs> not, not lined up, but in terms of cards that are in this top 10 list, we are nine for 10. Okay, but different order for you? Different order. So basically, we're, we're, we're shifted, your top three are shifted down to two, three, four for me. So my number one is Smite the Deathless. And I'll, I'll tell Ooh. you why. And I don't think it's not because I think this is the best common, but I think it sets me up the best for the decks that I expect to be able to get into and is the most flexible. I am going to be happy to get into blue red. And one of the things I like about Smite the Deathless, I don't think it's better than Rally in blue red. Sure. Um, but I think it is good in all versions of blue red, where I don't know if I think rally is good in all versions of blue red. Like the oh, mortgage- yeah, it is. Rally is definitely good in all versions of blue red, in my opinion. Is it better than smite in uh, controlling versions of blue red? Yeah, ra- like rally is incredible. OK, all right. Well, so then maybe <laughs> rally should be my number one. Maybe that's where I should be at. And I should swap that with smite. But that's where I'm that's my take on on smite. And then it's also great in red, black and and red, white, which I'm happy to end up in. Uh, then I have two, three, four. Four, your one, two, three, Kerbane, Birthday Escape, Lorraine Revealed. My hot take here in number five is Pelagir Survivor. As again, again, a nod to, so I have that run of of my my top three blue commons there of Escape, Lorraine Revealed, and Survivor as my run of, I want to get into blue. I think Survivor is just excellent. It's it's just everything I want to be doing on turn two in these blue decks. It's a great ring bearer it's great for splashing removal spells if like it one of the things that's really nice about survivor is if you start in red or black and those are contested you can still splash your smites you can still splash your what is it bitter downfalls you know like the the survivors really give you a, a lot of wiggle room in your draft okay so claim is somewhere on your list then you're telling me pack one pick one 
PT, you're taking Pelagir Survivor or Claim the Precious. That's what we're staking. That's what we're setting down here, right? That's what I'm telling you. Wow. I don't know if I would have the guts to do it. My heart would want to. I don't know if I would have the guts to pull the trigger on that. I think you have to. My feeling is you just have to go in with a plan. And once I made, as you will see when we get to list of black cards, Claim the Precious is not on my list of black cards that I'm willing to stake a claim for, shockingly, given the name. But... (laughs) uh, Once I made that list in my head, this pick became a lot easier for me. Claim is black, black. It's good, but it's, again, removal is not hard to come by. And I'm just really nervous about, again, that thing we've talked about for weeks of like, okay, claim the precious into Mordor Muster, into Lash? Question mark? (laughs) Right. And now you're just like, oh no, pick five. There are no black cards. And what have you done? And that just doesn't, happen or hasn't happened to me when I've drafted blue. Yes. I I I am jealous. It must be <laughs> freeing to take fellow your survivor over claim the precious. And see, and this is the weird thing. I would do that on arena. I don't think I would do it at the BT. That's where I'm like saying I'm in my head so much. Yeah, you, know? you, you got to get out, baby. You got to trust. <laughs> trust the process. Like trust trust the homework. Trust that you've done the homework, you know? Now, and it could, it could be that like maybe you're leveling yourself. But if black ends up, like if black is open, I just don't think the delta is that big. That's what I'm saying. Like Survivor's just so good and all the blue decks are so good. And blue yes. just isn't nearly as contested. I don't know. Maybe everybody's going to zig this way. And you're going to feel like, oh, dang, I should have zagged and black is open. But I have to trust myself that I would read the room that way, you know? Right. Yep. 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 Okay. So number six is Rally at the Hornburg for me. And, and again, as I'm thinking about it, maybe I should just swap that. That should be one. And Smite is number six. I don't know. Then I have Aaron Ryder of Gondor, number seven. I have Claim the Precious, number eight. And then I've got our only difference. I have many partings as my first green card and generous ent number 10. I don't have woes pathfinder in my top 10. That's interesting. I I have gone back and forth on many partings and woes pathfinder. I think the reason I like pathfinder more than many partings is it opens you up to a different style of green deck. Like it's still has the same role or function as many partings in fixing for the legends decks and the multicolor shenanigans, but it also just opens you up to turn two woes pathfinder turn three, like bag end Porter or whatever that stupid four, four is called like the decks that just like turn two pathfinder. And then you just slam monster, monster, monster. And your opponent's like, Oh my God. Like if they don't have something like horses, of the Brunin, that starts like really fierce and many partings doesn't let you do that. I think that's totally fair. I, I don't have strong feelings. My, my big nod to this is I think many partings opens up splashing in a way that feels more freeing to me because I often always expect to have to run basics even when I'm doing the woes pathfinder thing. I and, I, and I really like the many partings and generous and let me skimp on lands in my green decks. Woes pathfinder does as well, but it's just so precarious because they can just kill it. They can black breath. You know, they they can interact with it in a way that my many partings cannot be interacted with. I agree. So you're it's different things. Like you're getting yeah. you're op- with taking Pathfinder, you're opening yourself up to other styles because Pathfinder also goes in just like straight red green or whatever. Correct. Like if you have to do that at the PT. And I think more than anything, the thing that I have solidified for myself is that like whatever I have to do to like take good cards you should be trying to do like you you got to follow the signals because if you try to force your way into a deck, there's just not enough good cards. I don't think 
unless you're really doing it for like the top archetypes, like blue red or blue black or black red or something like maybe you can force your way into those, but it's tough. I think it's really tough. I'd be very curious to see what ends up happening. Like, you know, barring some like freak accident where people are just at a table where someone lets the feature drafter get the nuts deck. I'm very curious to see how people are going to navigate these tough packs because you can really as, as quickly as even pick two, but you know, as you try and find your lane, you can feel shut out in colors that aren't just black. Like this happens outside of that as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are our top 10. Pretty, pretty lined up. Strong preference for blue um, nods to the top red and top black commons, and then some nods towards the same ish green and white cards. Let's get into the uncommons, baby. All right. You go first on the uncommons. Okay. uh, My uncommons, uh, number one, Amor of the Rittermark. Um, This card is just absolutely broken. Phenomenal. Again, I'm very happy to draft all of the red decks, and I think AMR just slots in nicely among those. Similarly, number two, Fear Fire Foes, just busted removal spell slash Plague Wind. Uh, Then I'm getting into my love for Blue Red with Bilbo, Retired Burglar, and Gandalf's Sanction in number three and number four. Uh, Those are multicolor signpost on commons that I am really willing to grab because I think they power those decks in a way that other signpost on commons maybe don't. And I think again, like I feel confident that if I see a Bilbo pack one, pick one, I can grab it similarly to trickery and feel like I don't need much higher than commons to support those cards. I like that. I have a question for you. So, so sanction was four. Yes. Yes. Bilbo three sanction four. I have both of those cards on my list. I have Fiery Inscription ahead of Sanction. How do you feel about that? Because is Inscription on your list somewhere too or it's no? It's not actually. It probably wow. should be because I, I, this was the, I made this list earlier in the week um, and I, I'm you know slow to get to, to Blue Red. want to shout out our friends over at Mystical Dispute. They had an excellent episode on Blue Red this week. Carl 2.cubed has been basically forcing that deck to great success in the best of one cues on arena wrote a phenomenal article up on the mystical dispute website. Highly recommend you check it out. He's very high on inscription. I probably should be too. It's not on my list. That's probably an oversight. So my thought I have inscription ahead of sanction on my list. I think at the PT level, it's going to be a little harder to leverage sanction. Like I think people are going to be wise to it, be trying to play around it. Like, and you can kind of play around that card. Whereas inscription like does what it does. Yeah. It's much harder to get around. I'm into that. I, I like that. That 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 makes sense to me. So I, I, I'm not going to like try and fix my list on the fly, but I'm sure. with you and that all checks out because I do agree. Like when you're facing blue red, as I have been doing quite a bit this week, when you're facing blue red, that card's always on your mind. And so as soon as you have like a bounce spell or removal spell for your own stuff, a way to deal with you just get to a point in the game where you're like, the only way I lose is sanction, and I've got a way to fizzle that locked up. Right. Number five, Saruman's Trickery. Just an excellent piece of blue interaction. The counterspell. So, full confession. Yes. To expedite my list making here, I went on 17 lands. Wow. And was, I filtered by top users. Uh-huh. Just to see what cards were there, like to jog my memory. Did not care about the win rates were there at all, but that was easier than like clicking through Scryfall. Fun fact, 
Saruman's Trickery, number one uncommon by Game & Hand win rate above top users. Wow. That is a fun fact. I like that. There you go. Uh, number six, I've got Ranger's Firebrand. Uh, just again, I think this is a phenomenal cheap removal spell plus ring tempting. Love this. Number seven, my boy Frodo Baggins. Sad to see him so low in the list, but also like nervous. I'm happy to pack one, pick one him, but nervous as well about the outcome of that deck. You know, he, he is perhaps the best card for the green, white legends deck. Even if it's not multicolored, he's so good, but tough to, uh, tough to feel secure in drafting that deck at the PT number eight. Sorry. It's so low, Ben, the bath song number nine, (laughs) number nine, build the pony and rounding out my top number 10, Book of Mazerable, but this is it's it's sort of awkward that I have a different red enchantment than fiery inscription on this list at the three mana value slot because fire inscription is so good and it should at the very least replace Book of Mazerable here, if not be even much higher in my list. And I, I will say, so if we're thinking about Smite the Deathless, whether or not it should be my number one, my thought was that I am taking Smite ahead of Frodo, but below Ranger's Firebrand. Okay, so I'm taking taking my top six uncommons before I'm taking my top commons. Okay, that makes sense to me. So my top uncommons on brand number one, the bath song. That's probably a hot take. I don't that's, think that's right. That's absolutely I, insane. But. I know that's absolutely <laughs> insane. So I, I, that's what I was thinking about before the episode. So my my real top uncommons list, I think, has bath song three, no capo. So I, okay. I think my real list is number one. AM or the Rittermark, like if I'm actually sitting at the PT. Number that's two, what, Fear That's Fi- the point of this episode. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Number two, Fear Fire Foes. Okay. So top two in line with you. And then I I would take Bass Song three. Yeah, I think that's fine. And then four and five, Bilbo, Fire Inscription, for all the reasons that you mentioned as well. Like want to get into Blue Red, think those are incredible cards. And like once you have those, they pull up the value of so many other cards around them. Do you think we need to talk about why on both of our lists, Bilbo is ahead in those that group of three cards, the Bilbo Sanction and Fiery Inscription group? Well, sure, we can. I, my reasoning would be that it's incredible in every blue red deck because tempting is so good. And it's like a tempt insurance policy in that if you stick Bilbo and you make Bilbo your ring bearer, if you have any other creature on the battlefield, you're guaranteed when Bilbo leaves to have a ring bearer at one level higher than Bilbo was. At, at least two. Right. At, at least two. And oftentimes Bilbo's two because you birthday escaped prior to playing Bilbo. Like, yeah. It's just such a deflating feeling when your opponent plays Bilbo. Like either you kill it and they get ring tempted up a level higher. Like they got two ring temps from one card, which is insane. Or you don't kill it and they make treasure and ramp and kill you with the better cards than Bilbo. Like they play Aomer the turn after they play Bilbo or whatever. Like it just is, you can't win when your opponent sticks Bilbo. Yeah. So number six, finally dipping into the black cards. I've got Nazgul. Was Nazgul on your list? No. Wow, the takes. I love it. You're so free. <laughs> You're so free. And I it's it's actually weird. It probably should be on my list because Nazgul is on my list of black cards I'm willing to fight for. Then it should definitely be in your top uncommons list. It probably should be, yeah. Because it is in my top uncommons and it is not on my list of <laughs> black cards I'm willing to fight for. Okay. I may have made those lists on separate days. Who knows? <laughs> what whatever you were feeling. Yeah, yeah. That day. Yeah. So Nazgul six for me. And again, like I'd be kind of bummed about picking Nazgul, so maybe it should be lower, but I'm just trying to like, this list is what I think I would do at the PT. And I okay. think if push came to shove, I think I would pick Nazgul ahead of 
Gandalf sanction, which is my number seven. Okay. Um, for all the reasons we mentioned, I think on arena would take Gandalf sanction. I think it gets bumped down a little bit at the PT level because I think people will play around it. So Gandalf sanction seven. So all, all three of those blue red things in the top uncommons, like those key cards for the blue red decks. Mm-hmm. Number eight, my boy, Samwise, the stout hearted. Was that on your list? No. Ooh, you're taking Bill ahead of Samwise? Yeah, because Bill's really good in red, white aggro too. Hmm. Yeah, I just feel like it's so tough to take four drops highly because the, the slot just gets so contested for me. But I agree. Bill is excellent. Bill's excellent. excellent. Yeah. yeah. It, it's really good. Number nine, Saruman's Trickery. And same number 10 as you, the Book of Mazarable. There it is. And where does Dunlin Crabane slot into your list? So I'm taking all five of my top commons, okay. which is Dunlin Crabane, Birthday Escape, Lorian Revealed, Rally, and Smite ahead of Book of Mazerable. So only above my last uncommon. So I've oh, got like wow. Sanctions, Samwise, Saruman's Trickery. All those ahead of Crabane. Okay. It, mostly because I don't want to be black. Like I don't, I'm so reluctant to be black, which is such a weird thing because it's such a good color. But I feel like I've just know myself and I've been hesitant to commit to it and I've moved off it enough that like I'm fine to just like pick my first black card or two and like get off it. And it would yeah. be a relief, I think, if I didn't have to start with the black card at the PT. Okay. All right. Should we talk about the top rares next or should we talk about these black cards first? Let's talk about the black cards. I, I want to get to that list. I'm very curious. I only have six cards on my list. I have significantly less than six cards on my list. That is wild. Okay. So the black <laughs> black cards, I'm willing to stake a claim in the color for. And, and this, this is like you're trying very hard to not let yourself get pushed off black, right? But you, yeah. you would maybe... I would, but like, this is, it's like, once I have a card on this list, I'm happy, like that start we always talk about of like, Crabane into Mortar Muster, into Berserker, into Lash, like, replace that first card with one of these. And you feel better about it. I feel much better about it. So that list includes three rares, Orcish Bowmasters, Witch King of Angmar, and Call of the Ring. Okay, love it. And three uncommons, Nazgul, Voracious Felbeast, and Gollum, Patient Plotter. So no commons and not putting like whatever bitter downfall. I'm not doing it for removal. So posing a question to you, two of those cards were not in your list, right? Gollum and Voracious Felbeast. Actually, none of the three. None of those three. Yeah, none of those three were in my list, but they probably probably some amount of them should be. So are you then moving like are you let's say you're starting blue red. And you see some of those black cards that are on that list. Like you get past a Felbeast, you get past a Nazgul. And you have a good blue red start. Are you abandoning ship to try to get into black for those? I mean, it depends what what's the other card, right? What the context is, right? So it yeah. depends on the context. But I think my short answer would be yes, it's on the table for sure. Like, and and this is assuming it's, you know, I, I assume this is in the first four picks because anything past that. Yeah, of course I am, because that feels like a huge signal. You're telling me half the table passed on Nazgul. But like sometimes too, though, you get like that pack one, pick seven Dunlin Crabane and black is just like completely closed off. You know, like there it's was fair. just a pack that had four great black cards in it. And Dunlin Crabane was the fourth best one. I think I would just trust my gut in that spot of like, yeah, what do I think is happening right now? Do I think this was just a nutty pack of black cards or not? So your list, I thought my list was short. What's your list? My list. What do you do? I'm going to let you set the I guess I should set the line. What is I'll it? Set two, the line. Two, I'll two. set the line at 2.5. OK, I take the under. It's two. Yeah. It's two. Yeah, it's it's Bowmasters and Witch King. Yep. And those would have been my two guesses, because I think not having those two cards would be ridiculous. But even like Nazgul, I, I'm fine to move off Nazgul. Nazgul is a solid card that like I, 
I don't think it's as good at winning games as Bilbo or Inscription or Sanction. I feel like I'm defending myself and you're mostly on the same page with yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> because I, I want to make sure we're on the same page about what this list means. It doesn't, yes. I'm not saying I'm not okay to move off of Bowmaster's pick one, right? If black is cut, black is cut. I can't do anything about that. But what I'm saying is that kind of concession that I'm usually nervous about for uh, this is like black seventh best common and I'm taking it third. I'm more okay with that when I have the power level of a card on that list. Yeah. And I think maybe we were interpreting it different ways. My feeling about the that phrasing card you're willing to stake a claim for, like if I get Bowmasters or Witch King, if I open either of those, because I assume I'm never getting past either of them. Right. If you open those, like even if black's cut, I think I'm going to be black and try to figure out whatever the other four colors is the most open. Okay. Heavy that color and play my eight black cards that I get over the course of the draft, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's more how I was taking it. I'm not willing to do it for any of those other black cards. Like Nazgul is the only one in my top uncommons list. And I, I, I feel fine to like throw a Nazgul to the wind when I'm drafting. I mean, I'm just not really willing to draft that way at all. The like, I don't know, even if I get you know, Faramir is high on my rares list, the blue-white card. If I can't play Faramir, I can't play Faramir. That's hard to imagine. Honestly, it feels like that's way easier because either I'm blue X and I can splash it or I'm in the Legends deck and I can play it. And like, if I'm not in any of those, what else am I in, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, black, you can't you can get pushed off of it. But I agree. All right, let's talk. Let's talk rares and mythics. All right. Rares, number one, Andural Flame of the West. Still have not gotten a chance to play with that, but it has smoked me the few times I've played against it. Card is ridiculous. Number two, Bowmasters. Number three, Palantir of Orthanc, your fave. Wow. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, it's colorless. Like, it's so good. Mm-hmm. So good. Number four, Witch King of Angmar. So the two black rares in the top four there. Number five, I have mixed feelings about this card. I want to chat with you about this card. Horn of Gondor is my number five. And I'm like, again, just loathe to put it that high. Do you like Horn of Gondor that much? I do like it. I like it more than that, actually. Ooh, wow. (laughs) I just have found some times where like, it just doesn't do the thing enough for me or my opponents. Like it wins some games single handedly, but it is also like atrocious in other games mm-hmm. like that you're just like a normal three drop would let you compete or something i don't and it's, know and it's sideboardable against for sure i think it gets quite a bit worse in best of three i just think you have to know like like a lot of things i think like it's interesting i think it's very similar to palantir in that like you have to know what kind of deck it's good in you have to know when to play it you have to know when to dump your mana into it like it it's not just a colorless oops i win like andrew is right which is why this format's excellent because even these rares that are really good like require some play skill correct uh so horn and five six spiteful banditry the wrath number seven i have unfair amir prince of illithian or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. Uh, but i do like the nickname unfair amir and then number eight Rangers of Ithilien, the the blue blue control magic card, Call the Ring nine, and Arwen Mortal Queen ten. I mean, are we? No, are we, I think nine for ten. I have I don't wow. have I don't have Palantir on my list, but because you hate that card unnecessarily. I hate that card. Yeah. I, I've I've lost to it since. Like I just don't think it's I just think it's overblown. I think people are just bad when they're given the choice. They're like, oh no, my opponent can't possibly draw cards. I've got to just die to this thing. Like just don't die. It's fine. Um. Anyway, okay. Number one, Andrew. I think that's a pretty clear colorless bomb. 
Number two, I do have I have horn. Of wow. In a similar feeling of it's colorless. So like foil foil horn and bowmasters in the pack at the PT. You're taking you're taking the foil horn. I think so. Wow. What a I guy. Think, I think just again, like I'm not getting pushed off of horn. Yeah, you you can't. I can't. But it's certainly like you got to have some other humans for it to like really be great. Yeah. Well, I don't hate red white like you, so I can draft. Yeah, that's humans. fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, number three, Orcish Bowmasters. Number four, Unfaramir. Number five, Witch King. Number six, Rangers of Athelion. Number seven, Call the Ring. Number eight, Pip Pip Cheerio. Pip and Guard Ooh, of the Citadel. I like it. I like it. I like it. Number nine, Spiteful Banditry. Number 10, Arwen Mortal Queen. And honorable mention to Smeagol, Helpful Guy. Just couldn't, couldn't quite slot it up there. Okay, so are you taking any commons over any of those rares? Commons, no. Also, no for me. I think I am taking my top three uncommons. So, Bath Song, Aomer, and Fearfire Foes ahead of Rangers of Ithilien, Call the Ring, and Arwen Mortal Queen. Yeah, I have my top uncommon. I didn't do the full like chunk of them. I just said, like, where was my number one uncommon in this list? And I have Aomer ahead of Banditry below Pippin. So, my top eight rares I'm taking ahead of Aomer. Yeah, so similar. Like the, very, the best uncommons similar. are near, yes, like the top rares for just sure. Like, yeah, which is again why this format is is so great. I want to talk to you about spiteful banditry because I saw that card wreck you when you were hanging out with me in Pittsburgh for a few days. Mm-hmm. In theory, it's very good. I have played with it a few times and found it awkward. I have found the the red red the fact that it's two basically maybe i'm too greedy with it but what often happens is i'm like oh sick this is going to be so good next turn and then my opponent plays an x4 and i'm like okay sick this is going to be good <laughs> next, next turn, turn. <laughs> and then i'm dead like so i probably just need to fire it off but i feel like it is awkward when you're like cool tap out to wrath everything but your four four i'm still losing i don't know i have not been as impressed by banditry as i would like to be I have been completely <laughs> impressed by banditry. I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but card's been nuts for me and against me. Great. So that's pretty impressive. We were kind of all over the place with top uncommons, but pretty lined up with uh, commons and rares. Yeah, for sure. Which I think makes sense given that framework we set of we're in a similar mindset. I'm a, I'm definitely less gun shy about black than you, but I'm being a realist, right? I'm expecting black to be cut this weekend if I'm sitting down at the pro tour. Yeah. But then maybe you'll be one of the people cutting it. Who knows? Right. But, but I think again, you have to be open to like, someone's got to draft black. Probably right. that's probably that's the some, thing I've, some yes. three to four people have to draft black. And like, yes, it could be me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I finally come to. I, I'm, I'm more comfortable with myself, I think after doing drafts all week. So I feel like as, as is representative by our top commons list, we have a sense of like, what's getting us into black and red and blue and i think less information is given in those lists about what's getting us into green and white and so for me specifically those two decks that i'm interested in drafting or that i expect to be able to draft because i'd happily draft black white i just don't think it's likely um, because of black being cut um so i have some thoughts about getting into red white aggro and green white legends that i just wanted to run through real quick yeah let's do it so for red white aggro i really want to make sure i'm just about the only person drafting this kind of deck at the table. Like I don't want to be competing with anybody for these kinds of cards. And there's not a ton of things that make me think like, Ooh, this is the deck I want to draft, but I wanted to shout them out 
um, as things that I might see early. So in the rare slot. Okay, before you do this, I have a pack one, pick one for you that I faced today that I did not know the answer of. Okay. What would you do? Pack one, pick one at the PT. Errand Rider of Gondor, the 3-2 common, draw a card, discard a card, unless you have a legend, or Theoden, King of Rohan. I was watching this draft. I liked your pick. I, I would have taken Errand Rider. Okay. Yeah. Just because it's more flexible, right? I'm happy with that in any white deck. Like it's good in the green white legends. It's good in red white aggro, good in blue white and good in black white. And I just am not willing to stake my claim in Theoden that early. You know, largely that pick I hope doesn't matter, you know, um, but I, I like the the flexible pick of Aaron Ryder. Okay. Onwards with your red white cards. Okay, so uh, the rares, I only have two that I wanted to shout out that really uh, make me, you know, sort of thinking about this style of deck. One is obviously Eowyn Fearless Knight. That's the four mana, three, four haste. card has crushed me on the splash card over and over again. Absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, you know, less busted is Aomer Marshal Rohan, the four, four haste with, you know, some text about legendary stuff that that has come up. Um, but just a four, four haste beater is excellent. Uncommons, obviously, Aomer is on that list, the five, four haste. Um, but that's just good in any red deck. But, you know, going to be good here. Book of Mazerable is is really just one of the key pieces to red white aggro, I think, because of it providing the body and also being a go wide payoff. I think weirdly, Grishnok Brash Instigator is kind of at its best in red white. Like the two bodies plus the steelier thing, I think plays out better in red white because it's so aggressive, whereas red black isn't necessarily so. Urkenbrand, Lord of Westfold, the the thing that gives your team plus one plus so when you have humans or when it enters the battlefield. Just excellent here as well. And I do like Shadowfax and Theoden, but not really early. Like as we just talked about, I think your your pick order there was, or your your pack one pick one there was a great showing for me that I'm not really willing to stake my claim for Theoden that early. So two things. One, I I liked, I was glad that you also omitted Grishnak from your top uncommons list. I think data wise, certainly is up there, Mm -hmm. like in the top 10 uncommons, but it's just been underwhelming for me as a Mm -hmm. magic card. And with regard to Theoden and Shadowfax, Theoden for me playing against Red White, I've not piloted Red White much, but Theoden is by far the scariest card for me playing against Red White. Yeah, I, I, I would I would buy that for sure. And then at Common, they're just it's just more like nods to these cards, like Smite and Rally, obviously. But huge shout out to Lancer. Like I think this one mana one one menace is really underrated still. It's good in all red decks. It's especially good in red-white. I think it's really good in blue-red, obviously good in black-red, but just Lancer is really good. Having a body that's a threat that then gives you rank tempting to get to level two, so you can continue to press your game plan of being aggressive and get to loot. God forbid you get to level four and you know your one ones are now huge threats in this aggressive deck. I just want to really like late Lancers really keys me into this deck. Yeah, Lancers incredible. And then as far as Green White Legends, we've we've talked about it enough. And as you said, I even have as my first bullet point, it's tough to know if a deck like this is even going to be viable at the Pro Tour, honestly. Because if people have correct card evaluations and they know the good legends to draft, like you just can't get this deck. Right. All of a sudden, it's much worse. What I found about green, and I'm curious to see if you have this feeling or had any of the same experiences. My feeling about green was that there was like a very specific on ramp, like in pack one, somewhere in the picks four through eight range. Like when I saw Woe's Pathfinders or many partings then, like I feel like that's when I feel like I have to get into green because they weren't wheeling. It seemed like people knew 
what was up enough about green that you couldn't get those cards. And even you and I, when we were in the same, we did a, a, a draft battle video. Mm-hmm. Where we, we drafted in the same pod. Like we cut each other off of many partings. So if you assume the pros know that those are the key cards for green, like there's a time when you can get in. And once you've passed those cards and they don't wheel, like then what are you getting in for? You know what I mean? Because like you just don't see the good cards as late. Yeah. And so it is awkward, right? I, I would just be thinking about this deck as an off ramp exclusively. Like either... I start with a string of powerful cards in different colors, right? I'm take I get a Faramir, I get a Bilbo, then blue is drying up, whatever. Or you start black and get pushed off, but like it's a black start that you want to hold on to to some extent. Green can can give you that on ramp, you know. And I agree with you about the many partings, the lowest pathfinders, even the great halls. I wouldn't expect them to wheel and pack one. Now later, once you've maybe planted your flag. You can get them like once everybody's settled in, you can get them late, maybe to wheel in, in pack two or pack three. But I wouldn't expect it in pack one. Yeah, I, I agree with all that as well. The other thing I, I'm curious what your take on if you're talking about this exclusively as an off ramp. One of the things I've been trying to ask myself the last few drafts I've done is if you start black and black gets cut, what what are your preferred avenues for abandoning ship or how how do you navigate that situation? It's a really good question. I mean, I guess I would hope to be blue red at that point. And like, like you think you would just sh- like cut the cord on the black cards. Like let's say you've got three primo black cards and black gets cut. Are you trying to hold on again? Like let's say we're in that world where you're willing to fight for black, but you feel black is getting cut. Are you holding mm. on and then just trying to find whatever of the other four you think is the most open? Yes. To pair with it? Or do you think you're likely to pivot completely off black into something else? And I think there's a, f- a smaller list of decks for me. Like if blue red's open, great jumping ship on black but if i don't feel like that's open and i've started black i think i'm trying to just find the other open color to pair with it yeah i think so too because black is so good so and so deep that i would expect even if it dries up by pick three pick four in both directions that i can get a couple good premium cards at the beginning of those packs that like then I have that list of seven or eight black cards I'm happy to play. And then I just really have to be aware of what the other open color is. And I'm fine with whatever. I'm fine with black, white, black, red, black, blue. Black, green would be my least favorite among those four, but I'd be fine with that too. My gut says that blue would be the thing I would be thinking most likely to pair with it because I expect blue to be, again, another color that is deep and less contested. Right. Okay. What's your, what are your thoughts? Are you, are you on, on board with that? I am. Yeah. I think for me, if I start black, I think I'm trying hard to not jump ship on black. Like once I, once I get to the point where I have like three black cards that I'm happy with, I think I'm trying to stay black. What? If I, if I start with an early Dunlin Crabane and then I get past Bilbo or something like jumping ship immediately, I think. So if I start black and then see the good cards that go into other non-black decks, I think I'm willing to jump ship very quickly. But if my first two to three picks are, you know, we've talked about how easy it is to go black card, black card, black card. I think once I have that start, then I'm probably staying black and just trying to find whatever other color I think is most open to pair with it. Well, then I think it's more about a mental shift then of like, we've been really framing that kind of thing as a trap, as a like, ooh, you can get stuck and think you're drafting black because black is so deep, but then you're really taking like its 10th best common pick four and is that good? But that's sort of a feature then and not a bug. When you do start with Orcish Bowmasters, then you can sort of be like, 
Yeah, but it's really it's gonna be really hard to cut me out of black. Maybe I don't get the premium black cards, but you're not gonna cut me out of it. And I can do my best to set me up to cut the person to my left out of it so that at least pack two, I can get some stuff. And if it's cut in both directions, I'll still be able to have a shot at the first, you know, two picks out of each pack at getting some good black cards. That That's what I think my mentality would be at the PT. Like I'm not doing that on arena, but I think, and again, maybe this is where I'm in my own head, but I think like pack one, pick one, not even something as good as Orcish Bowmasters. Let's say I take Nazgul or something that's on my top uncommons list. Next pack, I'm faced with like, I don't know, fiery inscription or something like Urukai Berserker or a similar like, you know, top for maybe Torment of Gollum, like top top three through five black comments because Dunlan Corbain, like you're slamming Dunlan Corbain after Nazgul, right? Mm-hmm. But I think then I would be jumping ship for fiery inscription. I'd be like, great, happy yeah. to avoid the black train, get in fire inscription, drafting blue red. Like that's how I'm getting, I think, out of black. Yes. Once I'm starting black. And if it's not for those level of cards in the premium decks, then I think I'm sticking with black. So if I have if I have roots to go into blue, red or blue, white, probably as my other top two decks other than blue, black, I think that's when I'm abandoning ship on black. Otherwise, I'm holding on and then trying to draft the other colors. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Cool. All right, so if we're taking a look at other considerations going to best of three PT stuff, now that we've we've gotten some dickering and dealing about archetypes and, and top card lists out of the way, how do you feel about sideboarding? Things that get better, things that are worse, any any sideboard cards that stand out to you? My, my feelings are, I think red-white gets a little bit worse, which is one of the reasons why it's so low on my list. And I think aggro decks in general get a little bit worse, as well as anything that relies on a 2-1. Like, God forbid your deck somehow, your blue-red deck has the 2-1 pinger in it. I don't even know the name of that card. It's so bad. (laughs) Why would it ever contain that card? I mean, I think there's blue-red believers that would say that card goes in some blue-red decks. But like, that is a glass cannon for sure when your opponent gets to sideboard against it. No, thank you. Yeah, my my big feeling about sideboarding is that I really want to make sure, and we've been champions of Black Breath for weeks now, but I really want to make sure I have answers to X1s, whether that's Black Breath or Cast Into the Fire, the the deal one to each of up to two creatures or blow up an artifact, which leads me to the other thing that I really want to make sure I have access to, which is ways to interact with artifacts and enchantments, because you're not going to see them every match right not every deck has powerful artifacts and enchantments but there are very powerful artifacts and enchantments in this set and if you are stone dead to them i think you're just like seeping win percentage yeah yeah i agree and speaking of that takes me into some good sideboard cards which you already mentioned a couple cast into the fire black breath a card that's done work for me out of the board is murkwood spider like maybe you need to get a little lower to the ground in the aggro matchups your opponents on like red green chonky donkers whatever like that's been a fairly respectable card out of the board. The other two that I would not have thought that I have boarded in both copies of is Bewitching Leechcraft and Fog on the Barrow Downs. Say it the, ain't the, so bad. I know the aura based removal, but against Bilbo or like things like that, that you don't really want to get off the battlefield. And then it kind of strands your opponent's ring bearer for a little bit. Like, I don't know. They've been okay against certain cards in certain situations. I, I think that's great to shout out. And I love the idea of really thinking about every single card in your pool of 45 picks at the end of it. Like, I think it's really important to think about what cards are going to come out, what cards might come in. And you're shouting out two two really important spots there. When, it, 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 have, when have you brought in Fog? Are you bringing it against like, big dumb things too like are you nervous about people sacrificing stuff like improvised club and lash just make me so nervous 
around that aura-based removal. Yeah, I've done it more against like the Bant color pairs that uh-huh. I have against black or red or like I feel confident my opponent maybe by game three doesn't have that improvised weaponry or whatever. I mean, there's no way to know for sure. But if if those cards line up well against my opponent's cards and I think there's a reasonable chance they won't be able to like completely blow me out. I have sideboarded them in, especially if I've been removal light. Yeah. Uh, Eastmark Cavalier, another one, the 2-2 that destroys an orc just out of the board and against aggro. Like, you need to get your curve low. The fact that you can change your curve in best of three is just <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Yeah. And then uh, lastly, I have enjoyed a Gimli's Axe out of the sideboard. Stop it. <laughs> you did, you're, 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 you're setting me up here. No Kappa. Wow. I, I have pulled it in out of the board. I, I, for the situations you've said, like where it shines, where like you're grinding your opponent down, whatever, like you've got some one ones and they're not set up to have like their removal lines up poorly against you putting Gimli's axe on your things. Like if it's, I feel like it's going to be a grindier matchup. If I end up putting this on YouTube and you're watching on YouTube, you'll see the one tear streaming <laughs> down my face, the tear of <laughs> happiness that Ben actually listened to me. Amazing. Um, I'm really excited for this list. You, you'd messaged me just right before we recorded today about cards that get more playable with tougher draft pods. Cause you know, my sort of skepticism about your feelings of are, you know, these cues much different than best of one, than best of three, whatever, than in pod play. Like there are cards you have to scrape the bottom of the barrel for, right? You, you, I think you can't expect to have this sort of dearth of excellent playables, right? So what are the cards that you've been scraping for? Okay. First breaking of the fellowship. That card sees a lot more play on MTGO than I have seen on Arena. And I think even on Arena in certain decks, like, can pull its weight. You have to do some work in deck building. Like, I think it's best friends with Hithlane Knots, because then you can, like, stymie your opponent's creature's attacks for a couple turns, let them play another one, and then use the Breaking of the Fellowship. Not ideal, but interaction is tough to come by, and it is interaction plus ring tempting. So yeah. that, that one has been... I've played much more on MTGO, and I've seen much more on MTGO. Second is Second Breakfast. I've seen that in a, a lot of white aggro decks, and it's gotten me good a couple times just because I'm not used to thinking about it or playing around it because you don't <laughs> see it on Arena hardly ever. Have you seen Now for Wrath, Now for Ruin? Because I've actually seen that a bit more too on MTGO this week. Yes, I got wrecked by that card several times over the past couple days. Yes. Yeah. That's on the list as well. And certainly certainly has made me appreciate black-white more. Like that card's mm. best home, I think, is black-white and followed closely by red-white. Yeah, agreed. And that's the, the plus one, plus one to your team and ring tempting. And I think that's just probably a nod to people knowing how clutch ring tempting is or, or being more willing to go after it. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, even Stalwarts of Us Gilead, I, I think we, we were sort of on that card already because it is, even though it is a five mana four three, like basically a five mana five four plus ring tempting plus the potential to get out of hand as the game progresses. Like I've been happy playing multiple copies of that in my five drop slot. Yeah, Stalwarts is on the list as well. So this is just everything that says ring tempt that isn't premium. Well, and some other cards as well. But yeah, I think... And going into the PT, my number one thing would be that whatever deck I draft, like I want to have at least six instances of ring tempting in my deck. Like that would be no almost superseding color pairs and things like that. I want to be able to tempt. Did you see Sirkovitz's chart on Twitter? He he did a a thing about deck building this week, and one of them was looking at instances of ring tempt and its correlation to win rate for decks and it's almost a straight line like it goes down as you go from zero to one to two to three three is the lowest spot on the bar graph and then 
any more than three instances of ring tempt and above, it's just a direct straight line up your yes. win rate. I did see that chart. And Sierkovitz has my stamp of approval as one of like five people that's allowed to to talk about data. Your list is five. <laughs> my list, as your list of uh, black cards was lower than mine, my list of people who are allowed to talk about data is much lower. Sierkovitz <laughs> and, and two duck cubed. Anyway, okay. So a couple other cards. I think just four drop filler, like the bag end porters, the Olagai crushers, the protector of Gondors of the world. Because you've spent so many of your early picks on the premium, like one, two, and three cards, that a lot of times you end up playing these fillerish four and five drop cards more. And that's what the rest of the list is, is primarily the filler five drops. Like the Enraged Horn has been impressive to me on MTGO and I've seen it a lot more and played it a lot more just because it's like it's right there where you're not like you don't feel badly about playing it, but you just don't have to play it as often on a right because you get other better cards but like that. The Seerith Ungol Patrol, the four five in black. Stalwarts of Osgiliath and just War Beast of Gargaroth. Those like those filler four and five drops just do work. Like they have stats, they attack, they block. Like those have been impressive to me. Yeah, War Beast. I'm glad that's on your list as well. That has been a big problem for me facing it. Like I just have have consistently felt like, oh, what am I supposed to do about that? You're gonna get two for one, buddy. I'm gonna get two for one. I just am signing up to get two for one. Yeah, for sure. Says it on says it on the card. Whenever it dies, you get a two two. It does. Yeah. So yeah, those are my list there. The other thing I want to chat with you about, do you think, I, I think the answer to this is largely no from what we've talked about earlier in the episode, but does pod play change your card evaluations at all? Like knowing that, and if for folks who don't know that at the Pro Tour, you know, you're going to play it, not only you're drafting in a pod of eight people, but then you're playing against that pod of eight, right? One person in that table is going to go 3-0. So is, is, is that what you're talking about? Like, yeah, I don't think it does. I mean, maybe the random hate draft, the knowledge of you know, a card that I've passed that I would expect someone to take. But I think I'm not confident in the amount of stuff I need to keep in my brain that I'm able to do so. It's sort of how I feel about our team drafts. Like, I've just stopped worrying about <laughs> it. Just has, it's gotten me into I trouble agree. too much. Yes, like, to worry about what I'm passing Marshall and what he might take, and then I end up with a bad deck. I just want to draft a good deck. Yes. So I think largely my answer is no, it doesn't change my approach. So the the one question I want to pose to you about that is... I'm getting set up here, folks. I'm being backed into a corner. <laughs> no, I, well, sort of. This is one of your pet <laughs> cards that I'm going to throw at you here. But like my OLI for my top uncommons list, my my number 11 outside looking in OLI. Thank you. You need to listen to more sports podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that's what I need to do. Okay. <laughs> My OLI for my top 10 uncommons is Frodo, uh-huh. the, the white uncommon, largely uh-huh. because I think that gets I agree with where you have it on power level. Like part of me worries that if I'm the green white drafter, like I don't get to play with those blue and black and red cards and I'm going to uh, be playing against people that are drafting uh-huh. those blue and black and red cards. Is there any concern like do you try even a little harder to get into blue, black and red because of that? I mean, we already are, I think, by the lists we made trying very hard to get into it. But yeah, and, and maybe, you know, maybe if I were to revise my uncommons list now, I'd have a handful of those, you know, those black uncommons that I like. Like, I really do. I do think I'm, you know, pushed comes to shove. I'm taking Gollum patient plotter over Frodo. So I don't it, Frodo probably shouldn't be on my top 10 list, but I do like the card quite a bit. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. I think I'm only drafting that deck if I feel like the other things are cut, you know? Right. And so 
I don't think I have, it's just like, that's the world where I don't have the option to draft that. So yeah, I'm going to try, but I don't want to leave equity on the table. I don't want to, the thing I don't want to do, it's just what you said. I don't want, I want to just take the most powerful cards I see. I think Frodo is a very powerful card to see. And I know that things have to go more right to support Frodo at common than they have to if I get take a blue, black, or a red card. They, they, you know, I expect those colors will support higher rarities easier at common. But like, I just want to take the best cards I can and and try and build decks with them. And I don't, I'm not going to be like, oh man, everybody else gets to take Grix's cards and I can't. It's like, yeah, but that's just like how the table's working out. Right. So the other thing that I want to throw out there, and you drafted pre-leagues like a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we were both drafting during that point in time. I always remember thinking, I always felt good. Like I always played the Swiss cues because I was a coward and didn't want to risk lots of money at that age in my life. But I remember always wanting to be taking the best card out of the pack. And then if I always felt like I was taking the best card of the pack most of the time, a lot of times it wasn't always 100% correlation, but a lot of times that led to me 3-0-ing. Like if I felt like I was pretty consistently taking the best card out of every pack and putting it in my deck, like, you know, not just randomly hate drafting or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if, well, if most of the time the best card out of each pack was going into the deck that I was playing, a lot of times I 3 would that draft. It, and just, it's been a while since I've thought about that on Arena. Like on Arena, I'm, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're drafting green-white, if green-white's open and that the other people are getting to draft blue and black and red cards. But it does in pod play matter a little bit more. I think, again, I'll, I'll shout out our, our mentality in the team drafts, which is just like, we, I think in the past few, have adopted what I think Team Resources has done so well the whole time we've done this series is they have not only taken the best cards, but when they take the best cards that aren't necessarily with, you know, if they have a bomb, they open pack two, doesn't line up with the colors that they were in pack one. They not only take them out of the pack, but then try and get them so that they can play them, get the draft to go away so that they can play them. And I think that's how I would be thinking about pod play. So maybe it is a slight, a slight shift there, because I agree. I don't think about that at all in arena. I think about that quite a bit when we do the team drafts. I'd want to carry that over to pod play. All right. With that in mind, can we do a couple picks here before we roll out? Sure. All right, so I've got a draft here. Clear first two picks, I think, although you disagreed about one of these. You made a noise when you looked. Was this the draft? This was the draft. The only noise I made was I was scanning because I saw the pick that you made, which I don't disagree with, but it's also not on my list, right? These are black cards. This, like the rare that you take and bitter downfalls here as well, these are not on my list. And so I was scanning, trying to see like, you know, if, if Rally at the Hornburg is in this pack, I think I'm taking it. Oh, yeah, for sure. If Rally of the Hornburg's in this pack, I would take it. So cards in consideration here are Bitter Downfall and Sauron the Necromancer, to to quit teasing you all. Yeah, yeah. Three black black for a 4-4 Menace, and whenever it attacks, you exile a creature card from your graveyard, you make it tapped in a token copy of it that has Menace and is a 3-3, and then if Sauron's your ring bearer, that card sticks around. So I did select Sauron here, but I I agree. I would take happily take Rally over either of these two cards, I think. Yeah, I agree. So take Star on pack one, pick one, pack one, pick two, super weak pack. You have to follow it up with a bitter downfall. There's literally no other consideration. And happy to do so, I'm going to say. Yeah. Yes. And this is this is a start where I'm thinking, okay, I've got Sauron. I've got bitter downfall. Like I'll probably draft black unless I see, you know, some, you know, I get past Bilbo next or something. Then I would maybe think about jumping ship on black. But largely, this is a spot where I think I'm going to draft black and try to find the other open color. Mm hmm. All right, so pack one, pick three. This is where it gets interesting for me. See the following cards as options. Coral's End, two and a red, sorcery, as initial cost cast, you discard a card, draw two, make a one, one. 
There's also Relentless Rohirrim, the three and a red 4-3 ETB's ring tempts you. Or options to get into green with many partings, the, the green land searcher or mushroom watchdogs, the 2-2 that eats food and grows. You didn't shout out the only black card in the pack, which I do think is worth talking about. So there is a black card, Haunt of the Dead Marshes. Black for a 1-1 when ETBs you scry one, and you can pay two and a black to return it from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And you can only activate that if you control a legendary creature. I like a copy of that in my black decks. I don't know that I'm willing to pick it here, would you? It's really tough. I mean, I think I like taking it given what you see in the next couple packs. But like the fact that you have like Sauron and Bitter Downfall are not on my list, but they are good cards. I agree. In the best color, right? So like I think that there is something to be said for the other choices are weak enough in my mind with I would take Quarrel's End ahead of Rohirrim if we're taking a red card, and I would take Many Partings ahead of Watchdogs if we're taking a green card. Right. But I don't really love either of those over Haunt, which I do like quite a bit, actually. As you said, like one copy in a black deck. I don't feel like I'm giving up on much. I think this is a spot where I would take that dip in power level and take Haunt. Yeah, that's interesting. That makes sense. I think mentally, I'm already like, oh, God, I'm getting cut out of black. Got to jump ship, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Yeah, I could see Haunt being the right pick there for sure. I ended up picking many partings over Coral's End. For me, this was whether I wanted to branch into green or red. And I keep expecting green to be open, so I keep going into green. But then I keep wondering, like, am I just making myself the sucker that (laughs) drafts green, you know? I think for a many partings this early, you are. Yeah. I think think that's what I'd be worried about. Yeah, that checks out. All right, one more here. Next one, pack one, pick one. You get your fave Horn of Gondor, slamming that based on both of our lists. For sure. Pack one, pick two. There's only really one pick, I think, which is Dunlin Curbane. Two and a black for the one, one, make a two, two. And then pack one, pick three comes decision time. Yeah. A lot of options here. So there's Pelagir Survivor, one and a blue, one, three, tapped out of mana of any color. And then six, tapped a mill three. Best black card is Nasty End, which would you would theoretically like especially if you aren't blue black um as initial cost cast it sack a creature draw two if you sacked a legendary creature you draw three and then there's also uh, on the green side of things a peregrine took which is excellent two and a green two three and if you make some tokens you get an additional food into whatever tokens were made or a woes pathfinder i think peregrine took ahead of woes pathfinder probably although i don't know pathfinder is a human for the old horn yeah, well, but so is Pelagir Survivor, and this feels less close to me um, because I just love blue. Pelagir Survivor, number five or whatever, number four common on my list. I forget what my hot take was about it. I guess number five, but also it's a human. And I think Horn is is excellent in blue-red. Yes. Yeah, so, Horn's very good in blue-red. Yeah. I, Largely I like, because you get Rally, and Rally's insane with Horn. And you get the 1-1 the Menace in red as well. Like, yeah. it's it's just really good. And it, it also, like, blue-red, in my mind, it, what what's great is that if you don't see a Fiery Inscription or a Gandalf Sanction, you already have your finisher locked up, right? You can just draft blue-red knowing, I've already got my finisher in Horn. Let me just get the rest of the pieces together. Right. Yeah, one of the things that's pretty consistently come up for me in these drafts is that I felt like I've had to make some hard decisions pretty early on about 
the directions I wanted to go. And like the more clear idea I had of how and why I wanted to navigate those directions, the the better off I was doing. Yeah, you're not thinking you're it's not just taking cards of colors like it's it's even moving beyond our like pick orders or our top commons and uncommons lists like it's thinking about how do the cards I'm picking work together and what deck does this card go into? Right. And does it get me closer to the decks that I really want to be? Yeah, want to be and expect to be able to get, you know, consistently or whatever. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts for how to help our, our listeners six out the PT? <laughs> no, I don't have any final thoughts, but I, I'm sort of like, this has been one of my favorite episodes to do in a while. Like we often come, I'm glad we didn't come to this episode as like a united front, having the the discussions and the secret lists. And yeah, I need more of that in our, in our episode lives. You told me that over Discord. I, you know I am here for a good ranking. So. I, know, I know you are. <laughs> anytime, anytime you want to come with some separate ranking lists. Let's do especially it. if we're going to. This was a pretty congenial. Like especially if we're going to argue over those lists. Sign me up, baby. That's here, where that's where you get a little gun shy. All right, we'll figure it out somehow. All right. Thank you, listeners. If anybody listening to this competes in the PT and our our humble advice as <laughs> Magic the Gathering draft aficionados helps you out. That would be awesome. We would love yeah. to hear about it. And and best of luck to everybody that's competing at the PT. I am jealous of getting to draft this format in high stakes. This format is excellent. This format is excellent. It, it has really grown on me. I'm I'm thrilled to... Uh, I, I think we were sort of nervous, right? We've said, after March on the Machine, you said, Lord of the Rings, you're on warning. I think it's... I think it's passed with flying colors. Yeah. It has some big shoes to fill, and I think it has filled them. Yeah. And, like, it's amazing how... I think straightforward and friendly, it feels at first glance. And then like, there's so much hidden depth to it too. Uh, Agreed. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Good luck to everyone competing in the PT. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, please use code LOL, all caps at checkout to let them know we sent you over there. And more importantly, to get 5% off everything you purchase. You can find all of our content on our website at lordsoflimited.com. There's links to our tier list. There's links to our merch, our episodes, our YouTube channel, where we have a draft battle video. The draft battles are back, baby. How did we wait until the end of the episode to shout this out? Um, but yeah, we have a return after a brief hiatus. We have our uh, our draft battles back up on YouTube. Really fun to do. Excited to get more of those out there. Um, links to our Twitch stream. All that good stuff over at lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.